This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Try having viral conjunctivitis, pink eye, not for one night, but during an entire Olympics. And where to some people that kind of washes away or takes precedence over everything you did in a dozen Olympics. And like it was my fault that I had pink eye somehow. It's cracking. Welcome to episode two of the Jim Rohn Podcast. This is now officially a thing. And I want to thank you all for making it one. The reaction to episode one with Aaron Rodgers and Paul Malinaji was amazing. And I've got a feeling that you're going to love episode two as well. Bob Costas, a first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the smartest people ever to step foot in the jungle. Also, Adam Carolla, one of the hardest working men in Hollywood and one of the most successful podcasters on the planet. Two conversations that I am pumped to share with you and two big reasons why we turn the mic on, the clock off, and hit record. Hey, listen, I'm not sure how interested you are in this, but sometimes in the Ask the Pros section of the radio program, I get, yo, Rome, what's popping? What are you and the fam doing this weekend? Or what did you do last weekend? Or did you do this? Now, to be honest, I generally do not respond, and for a couple of reasons. One, it seems self-serving as hell. And number two, my life and my weekends really are not nearly as interesting as you might think. But some of you want to know, so I'm going to give it to you, at least this one time. Here's how the weekend went. Friday, I busted out right after the show. And normally, I hate to be the guy who's on that 1201 train, but I had a good reason. My wife Janet and I were invited to a very important birthday party. My man Rob Guthrie, prominent member of the Bombay Sapphire Club. In fact, let me tell you about that club for a minute. I think there are maybe six of us in the world that drink gin. So I slammed all of them into a very exclusive club, the Bombay Sapphire Club. And my man Rob Guthrie is in that club. So he's a very good friend. He turned 50. So I put on a suit. No small commitment since it was like 200 degrees outside where I live. Probably his way of getting back at me since Janet and I were married on the surface of the sun. Napa. In the middle of July. I mean, 20 years later, all my friends still talk about how hot that day was and ask, what the hell was I thinking? Anyway, I head down to the Del Mar racetrack on Friday where the bash started and where it was considerably cooler than where I live. Yeah, because I don't live where the surf meets the turf. So I'm at the track. I proceed to lose every single race that I bet. I smash beers and I don't eat anything at all, you know, because I'm smart like that. And yes, there was food. I just didn't participate. You ever just forget to eat when you drink? That's how that was. I was feeling it. Having a great time, hanging out with the fellas who I hadn't seen in a long time. My wife Janet says to me at one point, well, actually several points, Honey, have you eaten anything? I said, of course. She said, what? I said, gin. Del Mar Racetrack's awesome. An absolute blast. The summer meet just ended, but the fall meet's coming up. And the Breeders' Cup is going to be there this year. So if you have not done a day at the track, you really should. There's nothing like it. 
saw my guy Craig Dato, who's a really important executive there. He and Scott Kaplan own horses together, and they had a couple of running that night. I also spent some quality time with former major leaguer Mark Loretta. Mark Loretta is as good of a dude as he was a big leaguer, and he had a great career. Great dude, great dad. The Loretta's are good friends with the Guthrie's, as are the Myers. Former NFL Rick Myers, same deal. Class act, great dude. So we hung out at the track, and then we all headed back to the Guthrie's, where I proceeded to smash more drinks, eat less food, and party like a rock star. Rob's wife, Kara, threw an incredible bash. I got to hang with my guy on his 50th. And Sapphire Legends, Mike Treasel and Matt Coleman were also there to help us rage. All in all, an amazing night. And that was just Friday. Saturday, as you might imagine, was solid, but a little less amazing. I watched a ton of college football, and I recovered. Hey, look, we're not nearly as pliable or resilient as we used to be. I can still get it. I just don't recover like I used to. Maybe I need one of those mobile hangover buses. You know, they load you up with their so-called IV vitamin therapy. Yeah, that or, or maybe I just skip the third martini next time. And yes, absolutely, positively, we partied responsibly. Uber, Uber, Uber. Sunday morning, I wake up looking and feeling like myself again. Knocked out some show prep. A 45-minute ride on the Peloton. Hey, by the way, I love that bike. Serious piece of exercise equipment. My older son, Jake, is all about ACT prep and hanging out with his boys now. So Janet and I grabbed our younger son, Logan, and we made a Javier's run for dinner. Hell yes, we did. If I'm home on a three-day weekend, we're going to Javi's one of those nights. Didn't see my man Javier that night, but on that rare occasion that I do, it's like seeing MJ, Kobe, and LeBron all rolled into one. And there you have it. The Van Smack three-day staycation. It still seems self-serving to me. And if you think so, go ahead and hit me up on that Rome voicemail and tell me so. That's what that's there for. Which brings me to the very voicemail I'm referencing. The voicemail that I set up for you to use and abuse in any way you see fit. And if you follow me on Twitter, as I've said, this is a number for you to call anytime about anything at all. If you don't have that number, let me hit you with it one more time. 949-385-0447. Save that on your phone. Use it when you need to. Sports take, call the number. Drunk dialing, hell, call the number. Relationship advice, call the number. If it's a worthy message, I'm going to use it on this podcast. Speaking of which, that little red light on that machine has been blinking since we've dipped out of here on Friday. So let me get to it and clear the tape. You have 13 new messages. First new message. Romy, Justin from Melbourne. I never thought McElwain would do more scorn with a shark on a boat than the Gators did to a Wolverine on the field. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome. Uh, I used to cook meth. Uh, Axel Rose is fat. Go try it. Message deleted. Next message. Kathleen, Romy, the the next time you interview Sidney Crosby, can you play this for him? Yeah, Sidney. How did you get that? How did he get that big, luscious ass and those succulent lips? Is your ass bigger than Madison Bumgarner of the, of the San Francisco Giants? Oh, man. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Rome, miss you on the radio. Live in Ohio. We got to get Coward out of there. 
We need you back. Take care. Message saved. Next message. Broly, Sophie, I'm Mike. Don't delete me, bro. Don't delete Message deleted. Next message. Jim, this is Dave in Tennessee. I have followed almost your entire career, from television to radio, and now to the universally welcomed podcast. I wish you well in your future endeavors. You are the voice of a generation. You are the voice of my generation. I will continue to listen to you. You are the Howard Cosell of podcasting, and you can take that to the bank. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, Larry King. Mike Trout's good. Message deleted. Next message. Boner and sweatpants. Message deleted. Next message. Steven Phoenix, war bombs using electronic billboards at Netflix. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, what's up? This is David in Buffalo. Got a weigh-in on the UCLA-Texas A&M game. Silk and Huntington Beach's smack-off win. Cannot believe how UCLA pulled off that game. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Then smack! Then smack! Then smack! Message deleted. Next message. This is Daniel here. First time, long time. Just wanted to say I heard your podcast. It was awesome. As my kids would say, OMG, the first time I heard he dropped the F-bomb talking to Aaron Rodgers, I was like, wow, this is great. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome, this is Fabian from Italy, my man. One thing real quick, eh? You know what? If you, if you check the time, I try to make my call for it to go in at 420, which it is right now. Ooh-wee! Message saved. You have no more messages. Holy shit. Listen. Clones, listeners, I've been trying very hard to find a way to keep you involved with this thing. I want you to be involved in this thing. I want this thing to be interactive. However, you know I've all but eliminated you as callers from my radio program. Don't think that I can't do that from a podcast that's only 45 minutes a week. I'm trying to keep you involved. Why won't you let me? Don't think that I won't rip this thing from you too. Kathleen. You, for example, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to dig out your voicemail and play it for Sidney Crosby the next time that I talk to him. Just as I'm pretty sure I'm not going to tell him that you asked about his, quote, big, luscious ass and succulent lips, end quote, the next time I talk to him. Just like I'm pretty certain that was not Larry King that made that phone call, and just like I'm certain that somebody yelling boner in sweatpants is not making my podcast better, it's making it a hell of a lot worse. Stop doing it. I don't need those calls. I want good calls. Don't think that I won't rip that thing and replace it with something else. This may have been a very, very bad idea. Now, let me go ahead and give you a good idea. In fact, one of the best ideas. You know, in today's digital business world, the face-to-face meeting still matters, but you can skip the noisy coffee shops and expensive hotel conference rooms and simply book a Da Vinci meeting room. DaVinci provides you instant access to over 5,000 incredibly affordable meeting rooms in well-known office locations in every city, and they make it so easy to do. Just search, book, and meet. Your DaVinci meeting room comes fully staffed and equipped with all the latest tech plus high-speed internet. 
Whether you need a day office or a conference room, a boardroom, or a training space, DaVinci has exactly what you need to make your next business meeting a success. Best of all, DaVinci meeting rooms start at only 10 bucks an hour. Entrepreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500 companies all enhance their images with professional meeting spaces from DaVinci. I spoke recently with the founders of this company. I could not be more impressed with their mission and their product. So book your space right now at davincimeeting.com slash Rome. Once again, davincimeeting.com slash Rome. And when you do that, your first hour is on them. That's davincimeeting.com slash Rome. The first hour is free. Terms and conditions do apply. For details, see davincimeeting.com slash Rome. Where are you holding your next meeting? There has never been anyone in our industry like our next guest. I mean, legitimately. He has no equal, as far as I'm concerned, and no one has ever done what he's done in this business as well as he has. And I don't think anybody ever will. And that's not just me hyping a guest. That's not just me stating an opinion. That's a fact. Bob Costas is a broadcasting titan and a legend in this industry, and he showed up just like you'd expect for this conversation. And while still on top of his game, this was not a guy who had to have the mic ripped out of his hands. We talked about him walking away from arguably the two best gigs in our business, hosting the Olympics and Sunday Night Football, and how he knew it was time to do so. We also got into Wrigley or Fenway, the Stones or the Who, his thoughts on sports debate shows, him rocking the most famous fedora ever, and having an even more famous case of pink eye. Romy, you don't have enough to do. You have to add a podcast. I hope things eventually work out for you. My man, thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate you looking out for me like that. So let me start off by asking you first, how is semi-retirement treating you? Couldn't be better. Uh, It's always great to do things on your own terms. I had a very enjoyable run at NBC, and it's not entirely over, but I felt it was time to move into a different stage of things, and they were kind enough to call it the Brokaw Clause in my deal. So I guess, although I don't compare myself in stature, literally or figuratively, to Tom Brokaw, um, I guess I am to sports what Tom is to news. And in the meantime, that lets me do more baseball on the MLB network, and somewhere down the line, return to the kind of long-form programming and interviews and journalism and commentary that you really can't do uh, on broad network television the way you can in some other places in the broadcasting universe. So I'll look for just the right spot uh, eventually to do that. And then I think I'll be a very, very happy man. I'd like to hear that. And this is exactly what semi-retirement should be all about. Now, you mentioned going out on your own terms. Now, you and I have done this for a long time. Athletes always want to go out on their own terms, but it's mm-hmm. so rare that they can. You know, Bobby, actually, you walked away from two of the biggest gigs in the business, the primetime anchor seat in the Olympics, Sunday Night Football. So let me ask you something that you and I have asked so many athletes. How did you know it was time? Actually, I knew it was time a few years ago, but my deal ran through the 2016 Olympics and the end of the 2016 into 17 football season, and I have tremendous loyalty and appreciation for everybody at NBC, but the business has changed some, and if I sat in a producer's chair or an executive's chair, I might make decisions very much like theirs, but there used to be a little more leeway for the kind of host that I think of myself as being not just a traffic cop, although I can do those things and I think I could do them pretty well, but someone who could add some context and perspective. And I'm not saying that they never 
gave me the opportunity to do that. But those opportunities were fewer and farther between because, as you know, the nature of the programming has changed. And the nature of the competition and the attention span of the audience and everybody with the remote in their hands, and now they just don't have ratings for an entire program or even an entire hour. They have ratings for every 15 minutes or maybe less. They know what moves the needle and what doesn't and what holds people's attention and what doesn't. And I don't blame them. So um, you look for places to do um, the kind of work that feels right for you, that feels organic for you. And I think there were times when... Um, and I'm not complaining about this. In fact, in a way, I appreciate it. I was there just because I'd been there for so long, and I was such a fixture at NBC that people associated me with those events. And that's very gratifying. But, you know, after you've done it X number of times, unless you've got something that's going to increase your lifetime batting average or give you a chance to, then why bother? Mm. And that's how I felt. You know, Bob, you talk about the business changing, the landscape changing. I mean, as somebody who's been essentially the torchbearer for sports media for the past four decades, what do you make of the state of sports media right now? And then, Bob, specifically, the part of the business that seems to be less and less about sports and more and more about debate and hot takes. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that moves the needle. Uh, I'm all for debate. I'm all for discussion. But I'll say this, that it's impossible for a grown man or woman to be in a state of high dudgeon about a dozen different sports topics a day. I mean, you can fake it. You can pretend to be. You can have a thought or an opinion. But to be all worked up to reach certain decibel levels about a dozen topics a day is just crazy. Unless you're already drunk, and you shouldn't be by 11 a.m. or noon, uh, so yeah, I, this is this is geared toward some other demographic, which is fine. I mean, the world doesn't revolve around my tastes or preferences, but it's not something that that draws me to the set. I mean, I see it in passing, but it's not something that is appointment TV for me. All right, so you're still doing a lot of things for MLB Network. Why don't we turn to baseball for a moment? We had the Tigers and the Yankees in an all-out brawl recently, mm-hmm. which once again brought along with it, Bob, the requisite talk about baseball's so-called code, the unwritten rules. Does it look to you like these guys are capable of policing their own and governing themselves? Well, clearly not. I mean, there's going to be retribution when somebody is hit. Uh, That's the code. But then there's going to be discipline because, at least in terms of how the game is administered from the commissioner's office, that's changed. Maybe the code hasn't changed in the dugouts and on the field and in the mindset of some managers and players. But in terms of the punishment that it will bring, the, commi- the commissioner's office and Joe Torrey, who's in charge of making these disciplinary decisions, are not saying, hey, let them all sort it out for themselves. Uh, there's not that sort of hockey mentality, which is not to say that hockey doesn't hand out suspensions and hand out fines, but to a certain extent, hockey says, let them fight it out. Let them get it out of their system. Otherwise, it'll be even worse. Baseball doesn't look at it that way. Um, so what happened in Detroit leads to a zillion suspensions, which don't really matter for the Tigers because they're not in contention. It does matter for the Yankees, and now after the appeals are over with, you've got to figure out how you stagger them because you can't make them uh, serve them all at once because then you'd be depleting their roster too much, and that wouldn't be fair. Hmm. So in terms of the ball jumping out of the yard once again, I mean, we're seeing that spike yet again. Bob, if you had to guess, I mean, if you just had to guess, is the ball juiced? Are the players juicing once again, or maybe did they never stop? Here's what I think on the latter question. It's obvious that 
the full-blown anabolic steroids are out or virtually out of the game. People can't turn themselves into cyborgs anymore. And even if total home runs are up, and there may be a variety of reasons for that, which we'll get to, nobody is hitting a home run once every seven or eight times at bat. It wasn't even just the total home runs during the McGuire, Bonds, Sosa era. It was really the home runs per time at bat that were so out of whack. Um, you're not going to see that anymore. But we'd be naive to think that at least some players, and which ones we don't know, but at least some players aren't fiddling at the edges with new science that the police haven't caught up with yet, and by that I mean the drug testing police, with low-dose testosterone and HGH that's in and out of your system pretty quickly and just hope it doesn't trigger the test so you don't get randomly tested at the wrong time. Um, but it's still in the game, but it's not in the game to as great an extent. And to the extent that it is in the game, it isn't affecting the game as much because it isn't as, as full-blown. Now, the reasons for the increase in home runs, which you hear when you're around clubhouses and dugouts, is that there's something with the baseball, and whether it's juiced or not, I don't know, but apparently the seams, the seams are lower. And that's causing pitchers to be unable to make it break and move quite as much. And there's less drag on the ball once it's hit in the air. There's less drag on the ball uh, so it can carry uh, farther. And then you have legitimate weight training and improved hitting techniques. When you take a look at some of these hitters today and the torque they get and the launch angle on their swings, and there's no stigma whatsoever in terms of strikeouts. If you struck out 100 times in the past, you led the league. Now you won't be in the top 100. Literally, 100 strikeouts wouldn't put you in the top 100. So a lot of guys go up there just swinging for the home run. Uh, the true outcome is not frowned upon. Sabermetrics say uh, you're much better off with uh, five hits and three of them being homers than trying to string a bunch of singles and stolen bases and sacrifices together. So you've got a lot of factors besides PEDs that lead to an overall increase in home runs. And another one is this. you got big, strong guys who are adjusting to velocity and more and more guys throwing 95 and above to the point where no one even thinks of it as something that raises an eyebrow. Hmm. 90 used to be a decent fastball. Now it's considered subpar. So if you've got guys who are adjusting, who no longer flinch at a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and they catch up with it, with the kind of legitimate strength they have and bat speed, and now it's coming in there at 98, 99 miles an hour, well, it's just physics that the ball's going to carry farther. And guys are jumping ship, and they're doing so at a very, very high rate. All right, so let's talk football for a moment. It was Mark Cuban who famously said, I think the NFL is 10 years away from an implosion. I'm just telling you, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, and they're getting hoggy, end quote. It's not been three years, Bob, since he made that statement. Is he right? I don't know if he's right. The evidence isn't there yet. You know, preseason football games, preseason football games that I can only watch because I enjoy listening to Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth or something like that. And even then, I can't watch the whole game. Preseason games get, get placed in prime time on network television. A matchup on a Thursday night between the Detroit Lions and, and Tampa Bay will get a higher rating than many baseball postseason games. I mean, I think it's one more indication of the ongoing decline of Western civilization. But, <laughs> but it's pretty clear that not only is football king of American sports, it's king of American television and entertainment. Now, 
where Cuban could be correct is that the foundations could have cracks in them, and those cracks would be more and more parents and eventually more and more players taking a look around as the science not only emerges, but as the science is continually confirmed and saying that for many, the risk just does not justify, or the reward rather, just does not justify the risk. That it's obvious that, that football causes head trauma, and it's obvious that it's disproportionately associated with neurological damage among American team sports, and there's no denying it. And, you know, deflate gate and stuff like that may moment-to-moment, episode-to-episode grab headlines, but the existential issue for football is the very nature of the game. Can it be made a little bit safer? Yeah. Can it, can it ever be made safe? Can it ever be made an activity that doesn't damage the brains of a considerable portion of its participants? The common-sense answer, answer to that, the evidence-based answer to that, is no. All right, so then knowing what we know about CTE and brain trauma right now and what we'll potentially learn in the coming years, what then does this league look like two decades from right now? Uh, I, I guess the implication is, is it a softer brand of football? I, I don't know. I don't know. I know people have an appetite for it. Um, even many of those who won't let their kid play are still going to watch, still going to watch their team, still going to be in their fantasy leagues, still going to follow uh, week to week. Uh, so as long as it remains a viable business, uh, there will be people that are involved in it. They love it too much, and I understand why a lot of people love it. It's a shared activity. It carries a lot of memories and generational connections. And there's a lot of things about it that are exciting and dramatic and compelling, and the athleticism can be beautiful as well as brutal. I get all that. Um, so I, I just think it's one of those things where uh, the truth the harsh truth of at least an aspect of it is not enough to turn off. It'll turn off a few million, but it's not going to turn off the tens, if not hundreds of millions who care about it. All right, Bob, we touched on sports media and the status of sports media today. And then, of course, you have social media, and you mentioned Thursday night. I want to ask you, what do you remember about the night you nearly broke Twitter after busting out with that incredible fedora for Thursday night football? All I remember is that it was cold and it was very windy, okay? And the, the wardrobe lady says to me, the wardrobe lady had actually gotten me uh, a fedora in Denver a couple of weeks before. And I wore it on the first segment from Denver, and then we kind of joked, and it wasn't too windy. And I said, what the heck, I don't need this. All right? But she kept it. And she said, you're going to need it tonight. It's, it's freezing. And Here's Rodney and Tony, and they're wearing those dopey knit caps that look ridiculous, and I've got a snappy fedora going on. Right. It was a decent fashion statement, but you know what the world is today. And then Rodney Harrison poked fun at it, and he was trying to be funny, and it came up kind of lame. Um, and so there you have it. And look, if you went on the air tomorrow and recited the Gettysburg Address from memory backwards, and then the next day you wore a bow tie, the bow tie would light up Twitter. If somebody did something that was worthy of a Peabody or a Pulitzer, and then the next day they, they had some sort of double entendre slip of the tongue, the latter would light up Twitter. It lives on mockery and negativity. 
And if you look at it that way, it's not going to cost you any sleep. In fact, you're not even going to pay any attention to it, because why would you waste your time? 100%. 100%. I was going to say to you, in fact, you already took the answer for me or gave me the answer, Bob. I was going to say, have you ever said anything on air in four decades plus, anything at all that elicited nearly the fraction of the reaction that you got for that hat? And by the way, I have worked outside when it's cold. We did the Super Bowl in Atlanta way back in the day. We did it in Dallas. It's miserable. It's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not looking for any empathy or sympathy here, but I see you working i know what you're talking about it is not easy to work outside when it's cold no i will say however although again i wasn't tracking all of it try having viral conjunctivitis known in its most simplistic form as pink eye not for one night but during an entire olympics and where to some people that kind of washes away or takes precedence over everything you did in a dozen olympics that he had pink eye like it was my fault that I had pink eyes somehow, <laughs> you know? By the way, speaking of that, I mean, I understand, Bob, that the show must go on. I understand that you're a gamer, but you were really pretty sick. And if anybody deserved a pass for that, it would have been you. What made you want to stay on the air, stay in the fight, and grind through that? Well, the reason I did it was just a feeling of obligation to my colleagues and to my employers. And I really didn't feel that bad. I mean, it looked god-awful. But if you just had a stomach ache, or if you had a broken leg and they put it in a cast and it's under the desk and nobody sees it, you soldier on. We've all gone to work not feeling our best, and it's just part of being a professional. In this case, even though I tried to wear glasses to cover it, it couldn't be completely disguised, so everybody knew about it. And then when it got to the point after six nights or so where my eyes were so blurry and bleary that we couldn't get through a segment without them tearing up, that's when I stepped aside because I just couldn't be effective anymore. And then I think uh, Matt Lauer filled in and Meredith Vieira for five nights or six, and then I came back and finished up the last week. But it was it was just a sense of, of professionalism, just trying to do the best you can or could uh, under the circumstances. You bet. Listen, I'm happy to say also that you're still going to work the Kentucky Derby broadcast. Now, the last thing, Bob, that an interviewer should do is make it about himself, but this is a podcast, so if you'll indulge me for one moment, I can't yeah. lie. Images of you talking to me about shared belief before the Derby in 2014 were going through my mind until he got hurt. I mean, that horse took us on a ride of a lifetime before he passed away suddenly in 2015. And plenty of folks, Bob, have a tough time grasping what it is that I or others like so much about that game. But let me ask you, one, what's it like to cover the Derby? And although I'd never equate it to the passion that you have for baseball, for instance, Mm -hmm. on some level, do you have a passion for the sport of Kings? Yeah, and I think that they use me extremely well on the Kentucky Derby. Uh, I feel as if my role there is entirely appropriate. It's a big-picture thing. You set that picture It's a piece of Americana. People should go to the Kentucky Derby as a bucket list item, even if they've never read a racing form in their life. In fact, each year, we invite friends to go with us, people who've never been there, just so that they can have the experience of the whole day and the day before the Kentucky Oaks. Um, And obviously, like every sport, there are controversies and problems and issues that surround horse racing. But I'm telling you, when those horses come around the turn, under those twin spires, and down the stretch, that is an awe-inspiring sight. And well over 100,000 people coming to their feet in this shared experience and something they'll never forget. Yeah, it's two minutes, 
but you can build an entire three-hour telecast around it. And now with the cable aspect, I guess we do six or seven hours around it. And people watch. There's something about the Kentucky Derby that has a ring to it. Um, and, and there you go. Now the other races, uh, the Belmont doesn't mean as much unless there's a triple crown at stake. And the Preakness is a bridge. Uh, between the Derby and and the Belmont, and for a lot of people, they hope it's a bridge to the possibility of of a Triple Crown. But the Derby always stands alone as the first one and as the one that's the biggest slice of Americana. It is the most exciting two minutes in sports. All right, Bob, you've been so great with your time. A couple of quick hitters on the way out the door. Let me hit you with this. What is Bob Costas's guilty pleasure? (laughs) What is my guilty pleasure? You know, I, I, I like a lot of 60, you know, here's here's one. I don't know if it qualifies, but my son, who's 31 and who works at the Major League Baseball Network, every time we do a game at Fenway and they play Sweet Caroline in the eighth inning at Fenway Park, he's like in my ear going, God, do I have to listen to this again? I can't stand <laughs> Neil Diamond. Well, and I'm like a fairly sophisticated music guy. People who may remember my late night show will attest to that. But I've always thought Neil Diamond was underrated. Neil Diamond is not Bob Dylan, but Neil Diamond has 20 songs that if you're driving in the car and it comes on or you're listening to Sirius and you get to the driveway, you're not getting out of the car until the song is over because they're so catchy. You know, the Hyundai commercial now where the guy is just kind of cruising along and Sweet Caroline comes on and the girl's at the stoplight next to him and she realizes they're listening to the same thing and and she goes, bomb, bomb, bomb. You know, how can you not like Neil Diamond? The guy's like 75 years old and he's still packing arenas. You know, so I guess I guess Neil Diamond is a guilty pleasure. Good. If I good. have to, and I don't feel guilty. I just like him. No, good. It's just a pleasure. And when that song comes on, it's impossible not to sing. It's so funny that you went there with that answer because it led me to two more quick things. You are a music aficionado. I remember that show. I remember you having unbelievable conversations with Bruce Springsteen. So let me ask you this, Bob: The Stones or the Who? Stones. 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 How come? Deeper, deeper catalog. Deeper catalog. However, you know, at their respective best. You know the, the 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 four or five best who who concerts or or who songs can rank with the Stones, but the Stones have the deeper catalog. And I'll tell you something: the Beatles. When you think about the Beatles and how short their actual run was, like 1963 to 1970, and what they turned out during that period of time, that's a breathtaking amount of productivity. Not just the quality. But the quantity in that short window is incredible. Hmm. Fenway or Wrigley? Oh man! You know the easiest the easiest cop out is one is is the crown jewel of the National League and the other the American League. But I'll tell you why I'm going to choose Fenway because the quirkiness of the dimensions have an effect on the game and make the game more interesting and lead to more great or or unusual plays. You do have the Ivy, which is distinctive at Wrigley, and it's a breathtakingly beautiful ballpark, but it's actually a close to symmetrical ballpark where the dimensions do not come into play. The wind comes into play to some extent, but the dimensions do not. So for that reason, I'm going with Fenway. Okay, you think that was tough. Wait till you see the one I'm going to end with right now. Okay. And I, I hate to put you on the spot, and I need you to be real about this no matter what kind of a predicament it might put you in. Oh, God. Here it is, Bob. St. Louis or Crystal Cove? <laughs> St. Louis. You know why? Even though the the Angels are close by, 
if you're anywhere within the environs of St. Louis, you're in Cardinal territory. That's true. Well, you might want to get back to me on that one, Bobby. Obviously, I think you need a little more time to think that one through. On, on the other hand, we're sort of neighbors. And if you want to pick up the check, I could change my well, I'll my do answer. that. I'll do that. I'll, I'll buy I'll buy the right answer. And by the way, St. Louis is an amazing place. I understand what you're saying. But how many Javier's are there in St. Louis? None. None. Good None. point. There you go. Uh, but, how many, but how many Ted Drews and Blueberry Hills are there in Crystal Cove? None. None. I right. never will be. Touche. Got me there. Standoff. Bob, standoff. I'll take a standoff with Bob Costas anytime. That's a win for me. Bob, it is so good to have you on. I can't say how much I enjoyed that. Thank you so much for making time. It's great to see you thriving in semi-retirement, and I would love to pick up the tab. We'll do it. We'll definitely do it. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Romy. That's Bob Costas, arguably the GOAT and proving it yet again. Which leads us to our next guest, Adam Carolla. Now, I've known Adam for quite some time, and it's always great to catch up with him. But I want to be very clear about this. This is an amazing conversation, but it can be amazingly explicit in parts. So if you are listening to this in the car with your kids, or if you've got this playing at work, you want to make sure you throw in some earbuds or maybe even save it for later. I know you're going to enjoy this one. I just want to make sure you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You are essentially the podfather. You are teaching master classes on the art of podcasting. You have literally cracked the code. And this being my second episode of a podcast with original content, I do have to ask you, what advice can you give me and what do I need to know to pull this thing off? Uh, well, you've built an audience over your career. So your job is to kind of harness an audience that you've already built versus building an audience from scratch. The other thing is just early and often. I talk to people all the time, and they're like, I want to do podcasting, but maybe no more than, oh, I don't know, two episodes a year or something. And I'm always you got to do it more than that. You, you have to do it every day or three times a week. Like, like early and often, build that, you know, capture that audience, and then do everyone else's podcast. I, I say that all the time. I always do other people's podcasts. All right, so there's a lot of good advice in here. Do it early and often. Do it all the time. Do other people's podcasts and harness the audience I already have. All right, so I've got a lot to work with right there. Now, Adam, as you mentioned, you and I both come from terrestrial radio. And as an example, when Howard Stern left terrestrial radio for satellite, you were the guy that took over his time slot and half his markets. Now, Adam, we talk about this all the time, both in and out of sports. You never want to be the guy to follow the guy. You want to be the guy who follows the guy who follows the guy. So I got to ask, the night before you took that thing on, you're lying in bed. What are you thinking? Are you like, I've got this, it's my time? Or are you thinking, damn, what the hell did I just sign up for? Um, I wasn't thinking anything. I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to work tomorrow. Right. I, I had a couple, I, I, I just the way I'm wired. It's just the way I'm wired. It's not... It's not that I don't care. It's just I'm, I'm not wired to go to be intimidated, um, which which you know serves me well for most facets of life. But it doesn't doesn't always work. Uh, I had a couple thoughts. One is I've done I did Howard Stern's show a million times, and and Howard at some point even wanted to have me sit in the Artie chair 
a million years ago. And so I had this feeling of like, I don't know that I can do a better radio show than Howard Stern, but I know I'm as funny as Howard Stern. So I felt like I'd sparred with the champ a million rounds. And so I wasn't intimidated like, oh, this guy, he's got such a big right hand. He's going to take my head off. I'd sat with him and done his show for hours and hours and hours a long time. So I felt like I was up to the challenge. You know, I felt like I, I wasn't intimidated. And the other aspect of it was a pretty simple equation, which is people kept saying to me, aren't to go in after the great Howard Stern. And I basically said, look, um, Brad Pitt, and Jennifer Aniston were married, and then at some point they got divorced. Would you want to bang Jennifer Aniston? And <laughs> now you you'd say, "Hell yeah, I want to bang Jennifer Aniston." And then I'd go, "Yeah, but she was married to Brad Pitt, and Brad was like in his thirties, and you know how good looking Brad Pitt is. Imagine what that guy looks like with his shirt off. Imagine you standing at the foot of the bed with your shirt off." and your tidy whities and Brad Pitt. And I'd be like, I understand, but I still want to bang Jennifer Aniston. And if you don't, you've got a problem. So My man. I'm going to flip the question. Do you want to bang Jennifer Aniston? And if, the, and, and, if, and if it's yes, and now I get it. You would like, Jay, in, a, in a perfect world, Jason Alexander would come in after you and bang Jennifer <laughs> Aniston. Or... Uh, Papa John from the Papa John pizza thing, because I don't think she'd be attracted to him. He'd come in after Brad Pitt, bang Jennifer Anson, and then you'd come in. But life doesn't work out that way. That's absolutely incredible. My man. All right, so that answers that question. I'm so glad I asked it, given that was the answer. You know what, Adam? I was going to give you credit before you went to the Jennifer Aniston analogy. I was going to give you credit for the boxing analogy for being a great analogy. But then again, that is where you live. Listen, Folks here in Los Angeles know this, but others listening might not and probably don't. You and Jimmy Kimmel had this amazing run together with The Man Show. How did you first meet Jimmy? Uh, I was his boxing coach. So <laughs> right. He was doing a bit for uh, a morning zoo bit. I Actually, it was funny because uh, Kevin of Kevin and Bean, or I think Bean of Kevin and Bean got pissed at me for calling the Kevin and Bean show Morning Zoo. But I wasn't calling, because I, I was doing an, an interview somewhere. I, I think I was talking to Congress or something, and I said Morning Zoo. But I didn't mean Kevin and Bean's show was a Morning Zoo. I meant this bit was a Morning Zoo-type bit. Sure. It was, it was Michael the Maintenance Man fighting Jimmy the sports guy, not Jimmy Kimmel. Now we know him as Jimmy Kimmel. Then we just knew him as Jimmy the sports guy. Jimmy the sports guy was going to fight Michael the maintenance man in, uh, at, the, uh, at, at a venue in Reseda, California, uh, and Jimmy dubbed it the Bleda in Reseda. <laughs> and the guy... And the the referee, no, sorry, the judges were um, Adam Sandler, who wasn't really even Adam Sandler then, um, Pat O'Brien, and John Wayne Bobbitt. Crazy. 
Crazy. And they, they needed trainers. And they needed people who knew how to box. And I was working as a boxing trainer. And I was listening to Kevin and Bean. And they said, we need trainers. And they didn't say for Jimmy. They, they needed one for Jimmy and one for Michael. And I just showed up at the radio station. I said, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to train not Jimmy, just either guy, whoever's around. And uh, they, they went and found Jimmy. I just waited by the elevators. <laughs> and uh, I, could, I, I couldn't get into the station because the station wasn't open yet. And it was early in the morning. And Jimmy came out the hall. And Jimmy said, what's up? And I said, I'm a, I'm a boxing trainer. And he said, fine. When do you want to get started? And I said, today. And he said, fine. I'll see you at noon. And I just told him where the gym was in Pasadena, California. And he met me there at noon. And we, we trained boxing for like 10 minutes, and then we drank snapples and talked for like three hours about comedy. I mean, you can't make that stuff up. You literally met him as a boxing trainer, and it takes me back, Adam, that when you and Jimmy once hosted my TV show, still a great source of pride for me, not long thereafter, in my mail was either a bottle or a case of something called Mangria. For those who do not know, man, I did not know when I received it, what is Mangria. It is my version of sangria, but instead of, you know, 9% alcohol, it's 21%. It's like, it's like turbocharged sangria, and it's delightful. And I also have an IPA, and if you go to corolladrinks.com, you can, you can check them out. But this stuff's really good. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not nonsense. It's fun. Pour it over ice, watch a football game. Catch, catch a nice buzz and don't take in so many calories. Perfect. Now, but when you first when you first came up with that and you first started to mix it up, I mean, was it delightful at first glance? What did the thing first taste like when you came up with it? Uh, it tasted like ass <laughs> at the beginning because I took some red wine and I dumped some vodka in it. It tasted like hell, but then I jumped some orange juice in it and I put the whole thing over ice and all of a sudden it was pretty good. Adam, listen, you are a huge car guy, which I love. I got to ask you this. Looking back, as you look back at your childhood, what was the single, and I want you to think about this, what was the single worst car of your childhood? Not the worst car that you had, not the worst car your parents had. I'm talking about the very worst car on the road when you were a kid. Hands down, AMC Matador. Right. It was was like all hood, all trunk, Looked like a hovercraft. The wheels, like the fenders hung like three feet over the skinny tires. It had to be like, you know, like you take a Mini Cooper. You take a Mini Cooper today. Mini Cooper, uh, Penn Jillette had a Mini Cooper fit fine in it when Penn Jillette was, you know, six, eight, <laughs> 500 pounds. He right. fit fine. I had a Mini Cooper. I'm 6'2". I fit perfectly in it. You could take four people and put them in a Mini Cooper. That AMC Matador was 26 feet long and 11 <laughs> feet wide, and you could barely get someone into the back seat of it, and it got horrible mileage. It was just the worst car ever, but the worst named car ever, Daihatsu Charade. Mm. Mm. You're, you're calling your car a charade. A charade. Uh, I got to tell you, I I don't dispute that, but to your first point, though, Adam, I got to make this really clear myself, and you're the guy, especially on matters like that, but that Matador, my God, what a piece of shit. 
That that thing, I mean, good to reserve judgment until you look under the hood, except in that case. I have never seen a nastier-looking rig on the road, either before or since. What a piece of shit that car was. Insane what a piece of shit that car was. The other thing that cracked me up, too, is at a certain point, AMC, the worst automotive manufacturer in North America, hooked up with Lacar, the guys who built it with Renault. Right. The guy who built the car. They built a AMC-Renault alliance. But what I'm saying is, is it's like saying we took Danny DeVito and forced him to mate with the ugliest woman on the planet so that their baby would be the most homely creature ever created. It's like AMC, the worst car manufacturer in North America, gets together with the worst car manufacturer in Europe, and they create a car. Who would buy that car? I'll tell you what, Adam. If if Danny DeVito gets together with whoever the homeliest person ever is, I'll tell you who's not coming out, Jennifer Aniston. That, but see, that's why, that's why you're a great podcaster. <laughs> My man, Adam, I got to ask, because you and I, we grew up in a very similar area. We're of similar age. I want to ask you about this. You've got a new book out, and it's called Stop Talking Daddy and Other Things My Kids Won't Be Getting. Because we're of similar age, I've got a couple of kids. I've got a 16-year-old son. I've got a 12-year-old son. I'm curious for you, what is the most challenging part about raising kids in L.A.? Uh, I, I, I just the well. First off, just raising kids in a world where they just get what they want, have what they want. Like last night, I said to my kids, "Look, there's a Mexican restaurant up the street. Let's go walk over there. Let's have some Mexican food and a couple of drinks. They make guacamole at your table. They make fresh guac at the table." I said, "Let's go do that." Both my kids, twins, 11 years old, started, reacted like I said, let's go get your teeth cleaned <laughs> by a guy in a van. Right. They were like, what? No. And I was like, what do you mean no? Mexican food. No, we want to go somewhere. I said, no, what are you talking about? We're going out for Mexican food. No, we don't want to. They said, we eat there all the time. I said, we ate there over a week ago, and now we're going back. Oh, do we have to? I said, Growing up, Jim, you're, you're, first off, if we got to go to Taco Bell twice a year, that was a big, that was a big deal. Right, right. And yet they're making guac at the table, but it's not good enough for the twins. Like, Adam, and we can't leave it up to them, but if you left it up to them, where would you have gone? They wanted to go to a hoity-toity place nearby. I said no. At a certain point, I even got my wife on board, and we said, screw little demons. You guys can sit home, and hopefully the dog eats you, and we're going to the Mexican food place. And we actually dropped them off at home, and then they pushed out and said, oh, now we want to go. And it's like, Jesus Christ. We're having an argument over eating out. Could you imagine growing up? Man, that was the best. Like That was such a treat back then. That was like the best thing you could do. And now oh, we if we went to the we, we went to the Sizzler in Burbank, it right. was a big deal. Right. Not that the the Malibu chicken and the Langostino was off the you know that was a no fly zone. You could get a burger, <laughs> but still, just going to the Sizzler was a big deal. Now the Sizzler was Mastro's Ocean Club back in the day. The Sizzler was like the best steak you could get for sure.
I mean, Adam, you, th- this truly is awesome. Let me, let's do, before you go, and I appreciate your time, how about a quick round of either or? I mean, this is easy for you especially, but if I were to hit you with this, either or. Cracking the New York Times bestsellers list or winning the Toyota Grand Prix, either or. I am much more happy about winning the Toyota Grand Prix the celebrity division, and then the next year in the pro division, which hadn't been done, which makes me exceedingly proud. But New York Times bestseller list from a guy who's functionally illiterate and was warehoused at North Hollywood High, you know, in a way, it's probably a better thing to have on my resume. Yeah, I like them both. All right, Point Break or The Fast and the Furious? I literally had drinks yesterday with Chris Morgan, who has done Fast and Furious from Tokyo Drift to, to the last one and is doing the other ones. Sweetest guy in the world. He lives up the street. We just went and had a, a beer in the middle of the day. And by the way, I like guys who aren't scared to drink before the street left. Uh, so I'm going to, uh, uh, although Point Break is the best, the best part about Point Break is when all the stoners, all the Hesher surfer guys, recognize Keanu Reeves as the guy who got his knee blown out in the 1987 Cotton Bowl. Love that. Love <laughs> that. Love scene. that. That is such a great part of that movie. And I love I love you dropping a Hesher reference in there also. Hey, Adam, <laughs> you, now you have all the answers. This one might be tough for you, though. Dodger dog or Costco dog? Costco a thousand times and twice on Sunday. The Dodger dog is an abomination. It's just a weird meat stick. It's, it's beige. It's the meat to bun ratio is all thrown off. And if they tried to sell that at Wrigley, they would burn the fucking stadium down. That's how bad that dog is. But if anyone's listening from the Rams organization, when that uh, new uh, when when the new stadium is finished and you unveil the new dog, if you don't call it a ramrod. I will burn my season tickets. God, it's incredible. You know, Adam, last thought, and because, and this is only my last thought because I have to follow what you just said, which was amazing. You know, we mentioned our kids. So you've got like this public persona and you've got a job to do and you've got several podcasts to do and you follow your own advice. You're not doing two a year. You're doing like several a week, but you've got kids. Kids are of that age and you're probably saying that, hey, watch your mouth. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then you could just drop an F-bomb like that. I did the same thing myself. Like, if my kid says sucks, I'll check him hard. Yet I said fuck last week on this podcast. How do we reconcile that? What do we do with that? I, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But uh, I, I, my kids, it's the language, it we're well beyond language because <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just game on. I mean, this is a weird time. You turn on tweet you're like you, you turn you turn on your tweet and you read a tweet and it's like uh you know former cnn newscaster tells trump to suck his fat dick it's like what what what's going on but that's the time we're living in so uh i i think language is uh, we're never gonna unring that language bell just uh hope hope the kids don't become arsonists at this point There you have it, episode two in the books and a really strong follow-up to a really strong debut. Hope you enjoyed that. Listen, do not forget to subscribe because as soon as you do that, you are not going to have to hump this thing down. It will just find you automatically each week. 
Remember, we've got the podcast living on iTunes, Google Play, and GymRoom.com, so you're covered regardless of how you listen to podcasts. And do not forget about the daily radio program, which airs live on CBS Sports Radio and streaming on GymRoom.com Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 Eastern. Again, it's been an absolute blast. I'll look forward to the next one. Until then, I am out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.